Welcome to Healthcare and Hire, a podcast for healthcare professionals and aspiring healthcare executives looking for information, association, and inspiration from higher-level leaders across the healthcare industry. I'm Iqbal Acha, career consultant, healthcare recruiter, and registered pharmacist. Every week, I sit down to interview healthcare executives, clinical leaders, medical entrepreneurs, and industry experts to learn how they got to where they are today, what they see as the future of healthcare, and what they're doing to make healthcare more accessible, affordable, and effective. Let's find out more about today's guest. Dr. Munish Sharma is the Chief of Optometry at Kaiser Permanente of Southern California. He leads a team of 40 optometrists along with over 100 vision staff members to provide comprehensive vision services for their members. He is also responsible for developing, implementing, and evaluating all optometry programs at six sites within the San Bernardino County. Dr. Sharma holds a Doctor of Optometry degree from the State University of New York's College of Optometry, an MBA from the University of California at Irvine, and is a Fellow of the American Academy of Optometry. Before immigrating to the United States, he earned his MBBS from the All India Institute of Medical Sciences in New Delhi, India. Dr. Sharma is both a lifelong learner and teacher. He has been an assistant professor at Western University of Health Sciences and has finished three fellowships in the United States, two in pediatric ophthalmology and one in cornea and refractive surgery. Hello, Dr. Sharma. Welcome to the Healthcare and Higher podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Great. It is a pleasure to have you on the show today. You know, you're one of the you're one of the uh, few optometrists uh, that I've had the opportunity to really get a chance to know and bring on the show. So I know that a lot of my listeners are going to you know be writing down what you have to say and probably reaching out to you with many questions. Um, I'm sure there are many of my listeners that are meeting you for the first time. Why don't we take this opportunity and have you introduce yourself properly? Tell us a little bit about who you are what you do, and how does your role take healthcare to a higher level? Of course, well, definitely it's an honor. I see you using glasses, so I bet you've been with an optometrist sometime of your life for sure. Um, definitely, thanks to thanks for inviting, and it's really an honor to be on it. You know my name and the titles. I am a chief of optometry for Kaiser Permanente for San Bernardino County area uh, for Southern California region. Um, I'm in this role. It's going to be four years. Seems like I just started yesterday, um, and um, it's an amazing opportunity. I've been clinician most of my life. It is a great opportunity to be taking a role besides the clinician and be more active in care of the members, planning and you know deciding on how their eye care can be taken care of. So we have a reasonably big practice, you know, six locations. Uh, we provide primary eye care to all of our patients um, and uh, along with partnership with different specialties, subspecialties in Kaiser. Um, and uh, 
uh, have a team of excellent 40 some doctors with podiums and a big team of support startup patients. So I'm really blessed with a great team to work with. And uh, over the years, you know, since last four years, healthcare has been disrupted, challenged, you know, with COVID and everything. So we have had our opportunities in which we were asked to close the doors and uh, reinvent the way we provide care and uh, uh, rediscover what we are doing. So besides all those challenges, it's been difficult to continue to innovate and try to open up different ways of helping out the members. So um, besides providing care in areas like we've opened the last clinic in Hesperia, which is if you are in Southern California, uh, it's an area where population is growing and uh, there's definitely access of healthcare. There is always a challenge. So it's a great opportunity to build an excellent clinic in that area. Um, there's several initiatives we're working on um, especially, you know, we all know diabetes is a big health challenge. So we're taking several initiatives to help out uh, of our members uh, maintain their eye health while they have this chronic diseases. Yeah. That, that's a lot in one introduction. And that only means that you must be wearing a lot of hats or you have more time than most people. Uh, and if you do, <laughs> I would love to borrow some. I think that that's a phenomenal introduction, uh, Dr. Sharma. And do you prefer Munish or Dr. Sharma? What's, what's more? Uh, Munish is fine. And, uh, you know, uh, you should ask my wife. She will say that, where are you all the time? So you, of course, <laughs> take some place from one place to the other. So, yes, definitely several hats you got to wear. Yeah. And I, I mean, I can only imagine, right, being a clinician with a team of, you said almost 40, 40 mm -hmm. doctors. Yes. And so, I mean, and I'm sure like, you know, another 30 or some, at least maybe another 50, uh, you know, uh, allied professionals that are supporting them in their work. So that that's a lot across six centers. I think I want to take a step, a big step back or just pull back for a moment for the listeners. I know almost everyone is familiar with Kaiser, Kaiser Permanente. At some point in their training, whatever discipline they may be from, everyone has heard of Kaiser Permanente. But just to give some context for the listeners that may be listening from outside the United States, you know, this is an organization that is not only the largest managed care organization in the United States, it's also the largest nonprofit healthcare provider or healthcare plan in the United States. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Kaiser has over 12 million members, 39 hospitals, over 700 medical offices, uh, and it employs, I think, 300,000 employees with roughly 80,000 of them being doctors and nurses. Um, so a huge, and, and you all operate in eight states. So you know, when you think about, um, you know, a large organization that is not just uh, numbers by quantity, right, but quality, like the way that U.S. News World Report has consistently ranked Kaiser Permanente among the one of the best hospitals, uh, you know, repeatedly in multiple categories. I mean, this is a organization that sets the gold, sets the bar uh, and really defines what gold standards are. So for me, it's an honor to have an opportunity to speak with you. And, and you know, we're going to learn a little bit about some of the things that you would say are, are great things that, you know, you have seen uh, and some of the ways that your, you and your organization have actually been able to overcome typical challenges that other organizations face as well. So let me kind of jump into that because you brought up something really interesting. Um, you know, you said that you're actually over six uh, facilities and you started a new clinic in Hesperia. You know, starting a new clinic in and of itself is, is, is a dynamic, you know, is a dynamic opportunity because, you know, you're sitting here looking at a, a, at a population growth that's, you know, probably exponential um, and you're trying to leverage, you know, resources from a large organization. But 
it's not a cookie cutter thing. You cannot just follow a blueprint and just say, oh, well, this happened here. So we're just going to follow it and it'll happen. Talk to me a little bit about some of the challenges that you faced as a leader trying to initiate this brand new clinic, some of the, the hurdles that maybe you faced and, and how you were able to you know, work within the team or work with teams internally uh, to overcome it and actually bring this clinic to life. You know, I love always about disabotic. Well, you did your research. I'm impressed. So <laughs> all the things you told about Kaiser are very right. Uh, so I will add one more thing. One thing that makes Kaiser unique is we are one of the oldest healthcare entities in uh, United States as well. And uh, there is something unique about Kaiser as well is this is one of the few organizations where there is labor management partnership. So not only we have been around the block for quite some time, I think the secret sauce for our success is we work together uh, from the healthcare leaders, providers, and you know you talk about ancillary healthcare providers, support staff, they all have a stake, a partnership to make sure it is success. And I think um, that's the lesson brings us where it is. Um, you're right. Uh, it's not the only clinic I've opened last year. We had expansion in Southern California in several locations. Uh, in my uh, San Bernardino County area, this was one of the biggest edition. And, and um, so the challenge, uh, well, let me put up the positive part of it. The positive part is we have a healthcare innovation lab in Orange County in Tustin. And you pretty much go there uh, Kaiser is constantly working, starting from the bare framework of the building to what is there, how the space is utilized, how we can make it so healthcare can be delivered in an efficient way. It is patient-centered so that when the patient walk into the facility, let it be uh, optometry or internal medicine, they don't have to get confused, you know, what is where. So the same experience throughout California, wherever they go, they need to have. So that being said, innovation is the core of it. So when we opened this building, um, it was to make something bigger, better, uh, and improve for a patient experience. So uh, uh, this is not only the optometry facility, we have radiology, we have ortho, we have multiple specialties in the same building. So what that means that population is one stop place like you, you go up there, you see your pediatrician and you come down and you get your kids an eye exam done. So everything can be done on the same day. And you know, with schools, challenges, COVID, and everything else going on. Like if you have young ones, you want to make sure you're able to get it all done once you take off from school and things like that. Uh, similarly, we have a very rich uh, population uh, of seniors in there. And that was like one of the favorite places once you retire and, you know, the real estate in Southern California. Um, so there was a big population movement of seniors in there. And uh, recently there's a big population movement of younger people coming in there with the real estate challenges. So it's a very nice balance at. You have uh, young active population uh, members of the population. You're probably working downhill in somewhere in Orange County and they're living all the way in Hesperia. So that was a challenge to build something that can take the care to them on a day-to-day -day basis in their regular life. And when they come in, um, they have ease of like a checking in remotely, checking in with your phone, uh, things like that. Uh, stuff like you're waiting in, we have a model that looks at the wait time on provider uh, behavior. You know, those of us are providers know some of us always are, you know, a little bit more detail oriented than the others. So it learns from provider behavior and give us a time to a patient. So if you're waiting to see me and you're like, oh, I feel like I need to go and, you know, do something, uh, pick a cup of coffee or something, you can actually go ahead and do it because you don't have to feel like, what if they call me and stuff like that. So patient care experience was the core of this building development. And, uh, you know, we built ahead 
Uh, of course, you know, one thing um, which I won't say a challenge is more like any big organization, you have a blueprints built into which are developed, then me as a healthcare leader and a healthcare provider, I feel like, hey, you know, that's where optometry is. Uh, you know, that when we started planning in a year ago, this was what was happening, the latest and the greatest. Now healthcare changes every month. So good thing about Kaiser is uh, being a flexible organization and it's planning into building something which is Nothing is future-proof, but lasts longer. So I was able to make my ask on it, you know, ask for the equipment, ask for the things which we can do. You know, we can partner up with endocrinology, for example, something simple. Uh, we can have a certain device for imaging of the eye in endocrinology, and we need to step up in optometry, right? So things like that. So the things talk to each other and work in synergy. So I want to say these are the challenges, but like building everything new, you have to look into find what is the best and build into it. So yeah, that was that was a great, great opportunity to build. And you know, I told you earlier, it's like your baby. You know, you build something, although I have a small fragment in there, but that's my fragment that I'm so proud of being part of. Munish, it's such a beautiful story. And I like the way that you describe it too, right? Like, you know, because it's your baby. And, and I and I totally understand where you're coming from. I think a lot of the listeners will see like, hey, if they were ever involved in a, at the start of a new pharmacy or in the creation of a new clinic or anything that may be, you know, there's a part of you that goes into it, not just your mind, not just your ideas, but it's your heart and your soul that you end up having to invest. You're happy to give the time. You're happy to pull time away from sleep or rest or sometimes our, our family members because because you know that the final product is going to have greater value for other people. Um, and that's really remarkable to hear, but it's also rewarding to hear as a clinician and as a, as a leader. I think one of the things that caught my ear, and I really want to capture this, is you know the patient experience perspective that was put into the design of this clinic. Um, and to have to work with, you know, we all know that there's five generations uh, currently in the workplace. So when you're thinking about you know, these seniors that have come to the end, you know, their autumn of their life, and they've chosen SoCal uh, in your area for like, hey, this is it. Like, this is my, my nirvana and I want to be here. But at the same time, you're having to accommodate and try to cater to a younger population that has a completely different mindset. And they are very technologically driven. They are also very conscious of time. Uh, and, you know, to be able to implement services uh, and, you know, conveniences that accommodate for all of them. I think that that's like pretty visionary. So really, really good to hear you do that. I think the other piece I want to also quickly point out is, you know, being a clinician and a business leader, you have insights and an opportunity perspectives to see how the world is changing and to like literally drive the direction of the organization. It's a great place to be, but it's also very scary, right? You, you want the best for your patients. You want the best for your organization. You come up with the creative ideas, um, but there's a risk because sometimes ideas just fail in general. Um, so let me ask, Munish, like when you see the future of particularly eye care delivery and, and healthcare uh, from an optometric perspective, you know, we've talked about telemedicine on this show with other optometrists. Um, and I know that it's been around for some time, but certainly COVID has just accelerated the in, uh, implementation of it. But most people are only looking at it through the frames of a refract and refer, right? Like we, we do this telemedicine, we'll see what your prescription is, and here's your lens. But is there more that's coming down the pike or, or how do you see uh, telehealth playing a larger role in eye care? Um, great, great question. You're right. Um, Kaiser, you know, we discussed earlier, it's a vertically integrated healthcare entity. So we are the pair and taking the risk when it comes to delivering healthcare. Uh, so that 
secret situation that we are in. We are not bound by uh, the rules which may be holding back some other provider group from expanding in because it's all at the end of it meant for a patient to provide them a great quality care in the safest way in a most efficient way. So Kaiser has been researching telemedicine. Like when I took this role, we already had a telemedicine program in partnership with family medicine um, and, you know, of a regional, uh, regional uh, uh, eye monitoring programs. Um, but when we, that uh, COVID did is it disrupted everything. Uh, what we were planning on doing in maybe a year or two, we were asked to do it now and do it the best possible in most efficient way you can uh, and the largest scale possible. <laughs> so that is not just Kaiser, that is like everywhere summarizing it simply. So you're right. Um, the eye care, if you go back to your last eye exam or anybody who's listening, like, if they needed glasses, uh, it's a very personal thing. You know, you have to be in the exam room. You have to do that ones and twos, which drive everybody crazy. But you have to have those personal questions being answered to reach where you need to reach to have the best prescription. So, yes, that is there. Then, you know, if you're a contact lens user, yes, you need to see a doctor, make sure you're not doing something wrong because you're literally pulling a device in your eye and it can cause, you know, if not used properly, it can cause uh, vision threatening complications. So yes, you do have these elements in optometry or eye care, which are so unique and so in person that you look at it and you feel like, it's, how can we change that? Uh, but at the same time, um, if you're somebody who's using glasses, who's super comfortable using it for quite some time, and you're like, hey, you know, I like my glasses, I like my contacts, what's this right here going <laughs> You know, something like that. So that is a very visual thing. You need a microscope to look at it. Uh, but, you know, you probably have other people on this forum come and say that uh, our patients want when they want it, how they want it, and where they want it, healthcare. So that's where the leverage comes into. The organization which is built into providing the efficient care to a patient without having to bind with the, you know, how I'm going to build for this way that I'm going to get paid or not. These are real things, right? Uh, so being in the Kaiser organization, I'm just taking care of my patient and what I can do to make sure that, well, that thing that's bothering him is not something you need to come and see me right away. So we expanded on that. Like everybody have webcams, everybody's trying to do, uh, you know, Zoom meetings and build it all up. But having an organization that could provide a safe structure within our existing electronic medical records and do that. Um, having patients, like all of us have a high megapixel camera in our pocket, right? And we take baby pictures, uh, but having the same device using a kp.org app to elevate it so they can actually take a picture. Uh, right now, the new iPhone 13 Pro Max have a macro lens built into it. So patient can literally go to their eye and take a picture, which is almost like seeing through a microscope and share it through the kp.org and you look at it and like hey gee you know what i'm gonna start you on something right now on phone or on your app go pick it up from the pharmacy and we're gonna have to see you back or uh come today <laughs> because <laughs> i think i need to see you to treat it you know if it's a yeah. surgical emergency or otherwise so this is this is like it's common sense in a way uh but at the same time uh, in a healthcare. uh 
sometimes I do feel like there's so much room for disruption, as you said. There's so many areas in which there's room for improvement. We look around communication, entertainment. You look up anything outside, uh, it has been completely changed in last, I will say, 10, 20 years. The way we watch movies, the way we order food, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, so being able to bring same technologies and being able to, you know, get the technology higher up and be able to have a partnership with our patients to help us support them is, is great. And uh, that's something where, you know, KP has already been leading before this, but now we even have, you know, the sky the limit. Uh, and uh, you probably heard from other people, patients are asking for it now. Like they don't want to come to our buildings. They want to be at home and they want to get the care. So this is a great opportunity for us to be able to take to the next heights. Yeah, yeah I see that very, very clearly. And I'm glad that you called that out as well, Munish. I think you know, patients are in the driver's seat of healthcare and they should have always been, but because of the technology and the systems and, and as access begins to get more uh, equal across the country, I think that you're going to see that, you know, there's an opportunity for healthcare providers and healthcare organizations to really, really like separate themselves from the what, what is considered the norm today. Um, and I'm really excited by that opportunity. And I know that like KP is just going to show us how it's done. Uh, I'm excited Thank to you. see that as well. Munish, I, I want to take one step to the side. You know, we've talked a lot about, you know, the great work that you do at Kaiser Permanente and your team and how you guys are working to solve for problems in, in the area. You know, I want to talk a little bit about you. You you have a beautiful professional history. Uh, one of the reasons why I invited you to the show is because, you know, many of the people that already know you understand some of the, the hurdles that you had to climb just to get to where you are. But for those, again, that are listening or meeting you for the first time, uh, you know, you actually are a, a physician, a medical doctor that graduated from India. You came here. I believe that you were pursuing, uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, a residency, and then you switched into ophthalmology or optometry. You actually went to SUNY to get your doctorate degree in optometry. Am I correct in all this? Oh, wow. I'm again, you know, more research. <laughs> wow. yeah. I well, love I'm it. I'm not done yet. I mean, I'm not done yet. I mean, like in addition to having to restart, essentially restart a career in a completely different land, you moved, if I'm not mistaken, three times while you were in the United States. Uh, and then you, you know, settled down uh, in, in, in California. But in addition to working as, you know, in, in the role that you're in, you have also served as the president of the Inland Empire Optometric Society, and you were also an assistant professor at Western uh, Reserve University. That is a lot, my friend. That is a lot. I mean, you've got to explain this to me. Like, how, where do you get this energy? Where does the drive come <laughs> from? And, and how did you know that, like, these roles were, like, aligned with the kind of professional and leader you felt that you were? How, how do you know? Um, you know, first, thank you for doing all the research. And you're right. Um, uh, being an immigrant, you know, from India, I did my medical school and residency there, came here for actually training in periodic ophthalmology. Um, uh, my mentor in India, he was trained here in Gillistan, UCLA. So he's like, hey, uh, that's a place to go. Back then, we didn't have structured fellowship programs in India. So came here, did training in periodic ophthalmology, spent some time at Johns Hopkins University. Being a you know fond medical graduate, it took them a few months to credit me. So still, I got a few months, eight, nine months of training there, and then did a second fellowship because I wanted to have a one full year of periodic ophthalmology training at Children's National Medical Center under Dr. Jafar, the place where uh, you know if you are in 
pediatric ophthalmology, Dr. Marshall Parks, you know, used to be there. I did that, uh, went back, joined a practice for just four months um, when my son developed a medical condition and uh, we had to kind of move back to United States. Uh, and I worked out to get what I was, you know, trained to do to be practice as a pediatric ophthalmologist. Um, worked on finding different things, stuff like working for an Apple store in Soho, New York. To Wait, kind of... like, like the Apple <laughs> Apple store? Yes, the Apple Apple store. If you remember iPhone 3GS, <laughs> the day it was launched was my first day that weekend was the first day I worked there. This is like, you know how to say no work is below you. You got to yeah. learn wherever you can learn. And this was an exciting new thing. I did it on Saturdays and Sundays until my wife figured out I was spending more than I was making there. So I had to leave that job, but it was amazing opportunity while I'm trying to learn and explore what I can do. So yes, uh, so try to pursue to be a pediatric ophthalmologist, did some of the work I was trained to do, I realized at some point, hey, you know, state and uh, country laws are not gonna let me practice it. And uh, there was, you know, there are times in your life when you really look at yourself and you try to say what I can do to reinvent. And that's where all of us have friends and family members who are there to guide you. I was very fortunate I got connected um, to optometrist in New York, um, Dr. Chung Song, I still remember, and uh, he called him, he's like, hey, Munish, you got all the training. Uh, you are like most of pediatric ophthalmology is pretty much medical. So as an optometrist, you can do a lot of things which a pedic ophthalmologist can do. So don't feel discouraged if eye care is your passion, come to New York and uh, we'll have you sign up in New York for a two-year program, special structure program for somebody with already advanced training. So I'm so fortunate my New York professors took a chance on me. I'm so fortunate that my mentors from Hopkins and Children's send the recommendation to vouch for what my uh, capabilities were. And I got an opportunity to do a two-year training in New York. Um, of course, you know, my wife still asked me why I did a residency after that when I already had a residency and two fellowships on me. Um, my thing was that never education is so critical. I never wanted it uh, that if I'm working in a peers group amongst the optometrists, people feel like I did not take my optometry education seriously. I wanted to go to the accent I could as, you know, as a, as a specialty permit to be fully trained for my patients. So I went ahead and did another year of uh, training in inocular disease and ODMD combined beautiful practice, Omni, New York, New Jersey. So we already covered Baltimore. We covered New Jersey, so you're right, in between another continent, India. And um, uh, so after that, I actually, my first job was Western University Health Sciences College of Optometry. Uh, I was faculty there. Uh, teaching ocular disease, taking care of patients, uh, taking care of students, amazing, amazing opportunity. And um, I love working there. As I'm looking at it, I'm look, you know, if you're a fast-paced clinician, you always wanna be a fast-paced clinician. Mm -hmm. So although I was working with students and it was an exciting part of it, there was a part in me which was like, hmm, can I do more? Is this something I wanna do when I wanna slow down? Like maybe after my retirement, something like that. Or is this something I should continue to do? Uh, so you come at an intersection in your life in which you really feel like making a decision. So I remember Bob Garden was one of our uh, senior faculty deans there. Uh, he looked at kind of, you know, perception. I was president of the Empire Optometry Society, working on evidence-based optometry subcommittee for American Optometry Association. And he was like, hey, Munish, healthcare, need healthcare leaders. We need to have providers who take the role into the leadership. Uh, there's a great program in healthcare executive MBA at UCI. Have you looked into it? 
So I'm like, hmm, let's look into it. Yeah. So uh, learned about it. It was an amazing program. And you said earlier, uh, you know, how healthcare is changing and, you know, everybody's looking at it, patients watching, other stakeholders are watching. Um, at the end of it, I, I must believe that providers and healthcare systems have to evolve with the time. And we have to be the leaders to guide the change. There's an option you can shut down and say that, hey, this is never going to work or this is not good for my patients. Actually, patients going to tell us what is good for them. So that was the opportunity um, for us to, you know, go back and learn and do what we need to do to be healthcare leaders guiding the care. If you let somebody else guide it, they will do the great job. But I don't think it's a full service to our patients having uh, not healthcare leaders guide that part of the role. So I did UCI, Agile Healthcare Executive MBA, two years, a really, really great cohort of people. Um, you know, my friend, uh, he's the chief of pedic ophthalmology at Chalk. Uh, Rahul Bola is in my class. Uh, Betha, she's CEO of Planned Parenthood in Orange County. So really good dynamic healthcare <clears throat> leaders were doing amazing. So I'm working and studying with them. And that at the same time, I had an opportunity of this position come up. So it was amazing for what I was looking in future for myself and what I wanted to do with my uh, professional life. So that made me make a switch into the Kaiser. So it's kind of a long journey. But if you look back at us, I did not know. Like a 10 year before, if you ask Monish, hey, what you going to do? I did not know where I will be. Uh, but uh, keeping an open mind and, uh, you know, your friends and people you trust taking their guidance and moving in the direction seriously from what they're suggesting, I think was, was a great, great opportunity for me. You know, Munish, I, I don't even know where to begin with this because it's you're so goal-oriented and you are also very, uh, you know, driven. Again, the energy level that you bring, even at this conversation is just remarkable. I've never had the opportunity to talk to a guest that has like an unquenchable uh, source of like this, this passion for both clinical leadership uh, and then also mentoring, which I heard over and over again. You had some great people that actually helped you move, see things differently. I think that that's an element of where every individual who's listening should recognize like, you know, no, nobody, not you, not me, not anyone in this planet is successful on their own. It's just not a reality. You need people that can see you in a different way and talk to you uh, in a way that you're receptive to or open doors for you or at least guide you in a direction that you may not have considered. So I'm really, really happy to hear that. Um, and you mentioned several names. Um, I don't want you to pick any one of them, but is there another person that you could say like was really instrumental in helping you become the success that you are that you haven't already talked about? Um uh, thank you. Yeah, um, you're very right. I cannot give it a one person or one mentor, but you, in the journey of life, there are parts that you learn from people you come along. There are two names that really stand out and for two different reasons. So if I have an opportunity, I'll touch on both of them. Um, Dr. Dave Guyton, uh, he was my uh, faculty mentor back in periodic ophthalmology at Johns Hopkins. Um, he is, uh, you know, he's been practicing for maybe older than what my age is in pediatric ophthalmology. But this person has a passion. This person has an energy. I remember the days we were operating, we're going to start at 6.30 in the morning. He's going to go through his cases. He's going to see the patients on the bedside. At the end of the day, he'll go back to lab. So this person has more patterns in physics and optics that you can even imagine. Uh, we had, uh, you know, everybody looks at Germany for their optics and engineering. Yeah. We had postgrads from University of Heidelberg come and work with him. So I'm looking at him. I'm like, 
you're seeing I have energy, like I'm looking at him at the place where he was in his professional life with that passion for both clinical care and uh, for providing, you know, research and try to work on getting something new to help patients was amazing. So definitely he stands out. One thing I learned from his, whatever busy you are, uh, you got to always make sure the patient that you are with, that's your contact time with them. They don't know what happened before and what's going to happen afterwards. You have to give your 100% attention to them. And even do small things, I still remember, like you work with the kids. And if you had a kid with the glasses, I have one. And you look at it and you're like, dude, how do you see through that? <laughs> you know, something <laughs> like that. So he will literally take this kid's glasses, put soap and water and clean it under, you know, and put towel it down and give it to him. That's a small gesture he will do wow. sometimes. And I, I will look at him like, look at him, you know, professor of ophthalmology in Johns Hopkins. And he feel like that's what his patient needs to do. You need to do that. I still do it. I actually get a big bottle of cleaner in my room when I see a kid and I look at it and I do it. Parents feel kind of embarrassed, but I build that personal connection to a patient who later on feels like how important his vision and eyes and his glasses are because his doctor just did that for him. So small things like that. Um, when it comes to healthcare leadership, uh, of course, this is was my first role as a healthcare leader where I am right now. And um, it's a similar name, Dr. Patel, Manish Patel. He was uh, uh, right above me in the leadership role for surgical services. And um, when he took this role, he gave me that book, you know, uh, you know, 90 days when you take a new role and things like that. So one thing I stand out for him was, you're right, I'm very target driven. I'm very results driven. And that's how I am about myself. He told me something, how to look at your team. And one thing I remember from him is you have to remember no goal out there is more important than your team. If you lose your team, you're never able to get anything done. So that stick with me still. So whenever I look, you, there's always a time when there are conflicting opportunities, there are conflicts coming up and you're looking at it. Hey, you know, this is really, really important to me. And right now, this is going to make me sacrifice this much of my team's time, equity, effort, or one way or the other. So the opportunity is to take a step back before going to your team and look is that really worth going for it? And then you take it to them. And I'm so fortunate. Most of the time I'm self-surprised. They'll be like, oh yeah, we'll do it. Don't worry about it. And then you're like, oh wow, great. Whew, that was good. <laughs> uh, but a lot of the time when you go and you feel you're getting some pressure, you really have to feel like, really is this really worth putting the team through that pressure? If you're a good leader, you have done sacrifices for the group along the time. When it's your opportunity to do some small ask, most of the time they'll feel like, yeah, I'll have to go an extra length to do it. So these are two great life lessons I've learned from these two great mentors, which I think as a clinician, as a healthcare leader, that has helped me evolve. So I, again, I, every time you say something, Manish, it just makes me think, man, like you are at the right, you're seeing things and you're speaking things that are so, so helpful for people that are, that are listening to this episode. I mean, we are nothing without our team, right? We, there's no way that you could see 400 patients a day on your own. There's no way that you could chart anything. There's no way that you could prescribe anything. You need people to understand like, Hey, we're all working cohesively towards the same goal, which is ultimately patient care and better patient outcomes. And what is underlying on all of this, of course, is trust. Trust that they have with you and the trust that you have with them. And so to hear that repeated from a leader of your stature with an organization as amazing as KP is, is like, again, reinvigorating and reinforcing. I love this so, so much, uh, Manish. I'm trying not to show too much passion because you're the guest <laughs> and I'm the host. Uh, but man, I am yeah. just razzed by this. I'm so happy. Um, 
Manish, you know, I always like to ask my guests because I know, you know, we need to take time to reflect and sometimes we re-strategize after a reflection, but we also, you know, reclaim ourselves through some of the milestones that we've reached. Um, you know, we've talked about many of the certifications and degrees that you've earned, all the wonderful, uh, interesting challenges you've taken on and, and brought success to. Is there one that when you think about today, you say, you know, I still have a lot more ahead of me. I, I, there's no way at the end of this. But when I think about like at least one thing that I'm super proud of, like that's the thing that I'm right now really proud of. Is there one thing that you can share with the audience today that you would say, yeah, I'm I'm actually really proud of that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's a personal achievement, actually, and I don't want to sound small on it, but at the same time, it meant a lot to me. Um, so, you know, did you CI MBA? We talked about it, and it was challenging. After doing my first year of MBA, uh, I got the job. So there was an opportunity time in my life in which I was having this job that I'm working at, uh, have an MBA to do, which is almost full-time contact hours. Uh, I'm taking a first leadership role and I'm seeing patients, you know, at least 60% of the time uh, that I'm supposed to be working. Manish, let me back so, up for a second because I may have missed this connection. <laughs> where you, you mentioned this earlier. So you accepted the position that you have now as the chief of optometry at Kaiser Permanente while you were still enrolled in the MBA program. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, it's a full-time executive. Wow. <laughs> it was a full-time executive MBA program in which we had uh, Thursday nights, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, you know, twice a month. And uh, I did talk to my leaders here. Hey, you know, I'm in it. I want to go through with the program. Of course, kudos to them. They gave me an opportunity to do that. But you're right. It was mm, all that all at once. And that was a big challenge. And um, that's where, again, I would not have been able to do any of that, uh, you know, with, without the support of my family, you know, my wife and everything. But the one accomplishment that came at the end of it, uh, which I don't know, it sounds kind of awkward to talk about it, but I'm still proud of it that I was able to do it. I was able to be on the top of my class. And I look back at that and I'm like, well, I don't know how did it happen? And, you know, the MBA, you know, you've been to business school, how that works. It's your group. If your group is not with you and you're not excelling in every project you're asked to do, there's no way you can get the grades to be where you are. And uh, that's why, you know, the names I just told you, you know, uh, they were in my group. And uh, I transitioned into that group in the, after my first semester. And we literally kind of found each other and built this really great group. And um, that is a big achievement. I look back at it and I'm really like, really, did I just do that? But what that made me feel like is, hey, I did not know if I'm a business person. I did not know if I have talent and professional acumen to look at the spreadsheet, look at the financial aspects of different things. So that gave me an opportunity to learn and about myself and realize that, hey, you know, this is something I can, you know, really work on. This is something, you know, I don't, you know, imposter syndrome. All of us have it at some point in our life. You feel like, am I really meant to do what I'm doing? And that gave me an opportunity. Hey, you know, if there is a recognized university school with such a big talent in my class and I'm able to academically do so well, there is something there. There's an opportunity for me to grow and I can really make an impact if I take the great learning they had from MBA and being able to implement in the healthcare delivery in this you know, great organization. So yeah. That's remarkable. Um, Munish, I'm, thank you for sharing that with us. I mean, I think it's, uh, I, I know a lot of clients of mine and executives that I speak with, like, you know, want to do those types of things, but, you know, and you were married, you already had children at this point, and yet you still went ahead. So 
you know, you're a great example of what can be done if the mind is straight and no, it's very focused on what it wants. I want to pivot here for a moment because I would be remiss as a host if I did not give you an opportunity to praise your wife. Um, you know, for somebody who has been with you from thick through thick and thin from start to finish, uh, has accommodated lots of moves and, and has probably breathed a lot of spirit and, you know, encouragement into you. Um, you know, talk to me a little bit about her. She sounds like your rock. Uh, I have a wife like that who's a rock for me. So, um, yeah, what's her name? No, uh, tell us a little uh, bit. Her name it. is Ria, Ria, uh, and um, we've been married for uh, 16 years now. And, one five? Uh, 16 years now. 16. Yeah. You have me and, beat by uh, one. We're celebrating my 15th year this uh, weekend. Oh, well, congratulations. That's awesome. So, you know, she's already come up a couple of times in the conversation because you're right. You know, none of us can do anything without a support of family and a friend. And she's both for me. And that's really good. Um, so, yeah, I still remember when we were in New York, in New Jersey, I was full-time student in New York at that time. She was not only financially supporting the family in the New York snow with a, you know, a two-year-old and a six-year-old, walking them, dropping them off in the daycares going to the job, coming back, picking up, and here I'm taking bus into the city uh, to, you know, do what I need to do. Um, it's amazing, you know. So that, of course, being a U.S. Uh, born citizen, she moved to India with me and then came back, supported my kids through that time. So definitely all these opportunities not have been possible if she wasn't the great partner that she is. Um, even my MBA program, I will go back and say that, hey, you know, we got this new job. There are people who take a year off and come back and finish it. Um, and she'll go back and say that, uh, is your work too much for you, honey? And I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Tell me, how can I help you there? And that's enough for me to feel like motivated enough to say, no, no, you don't do anything there. I got that part. Uh, okay, let, well, let's plan your business goal. How many hours do you need at work? What time you wake up? What time you need to sleep? And for the entire that one year, I knew I'm waking up every day 4.30 because I know I need to study before my day starts and come back, you know. So the being of having a partner that's going to help you plan all that was amazing. And um, uh, again, you know, I'm so grateful to have her. And, you know, a lot of us, have, you know, friends, family members, parents who have helped them to be where they are. And, you know, for me, uh, she's been parent to my boys and sometimes I feel like to me too, <laughs> uh, you know, making sure I'm supported enough through what I need to do. Yeah, no, I, I know that feeling. I sometimes I get corralled and uh, chided as well, but you know what, that's how guys are. That's okay because we have wonderful women that love us. Um, Munish, you know, most of the listeners here have been, you know, jotting down notes, taking ideas and, and learning from your journey. Um, and about how to be a better clinician, better leader, you know, the professional aspects of your life are very, very clear and transparent and very appreciative of that. But there's always the other side of us, right? We're all human beings. We have, you know, emotions, we have, you know, wants and needs. You know, when I think about it, like, you know, we, we immerse ourselves as healthcare providers in gathering as much education as we can from a perspective, from an objective lens. But there is a personal growth aspect that I think many of us, you know, struggle to find either the right person, the right resource. Are, is there a book or a source that you typically go to to find inspiration um, or some personal enrichment that you would recommend? Like for me, I'm really big into listening to podcasts, hence why I created one, uh, and watching TEDx videos. What about yourself? 
You know, you, you're so right. TEDx is the place to go. And uh, there are a couple podcasts that I follow on a regular basis. Uh, one of them really good from Guy Brown is um, uh, Guy Ross is uh, Why I Build It or How I Build It. It's about the innovators, disruptors. I listen to it and listen to their life journey and things they go through to be where they are. And I look back and see that I'm having nothing of that. Like I haven't been any of those struggles. So I'm like so lucky in where I am right now because I've been able to, uh, you know, do the things in a certain way and did not have to take those high risks that these all people do to be where they are. So, you know, uh, these are the two definitely big motivators. Heather um, is really good at providing education and training as well. So one thing is if you are in a big organization, you'll always get those emails about the training. And a lot of us look at it, say that, oh, can I do it? Maybe next time. I've, what I've learned is this is never going to be a next time. Uh, try to start on it and see what you can gather and learn from it. It's going to be a sacrifice. So that little MBA, that one year that took that chunk out of me, um, that's what I always look back at myself. So I have so much time that I suddenly have. What can I do to innovate in my workplace? And what can I do to innovate personal growth wise? So like if I was putting so many hours during business school while doing the work, what can I do to replace that? I think you that's pretty much, we have to maintain a balance sheet of our life in a way and try to see what you can do to learn. So Kaiser has different program from Care Experience Learning Academy. They have Activate, Accelerate programs all focused toward leadership development, which is Kaiser Permanente Leadership University. So every big organization has opportunities like that. So that's, I'm like, I will I'm really fortunate to be in a place which really looks at their people and their growth in a, such a serious manner and give them an opportunity to learn. Yeah, I mean, I, and I cannot disagree with you at all. Like the investment that companies make into their employees, but also the investment that in, uh, individuals make in themselves is really the, the differentiating factor. Monish, is there something on your radar for 2022 that you've seen from these course offerings or these resources uh, that you have decided that by the end of the year that you're going to either enroll in or finish or read? What's on your agenda for the year? Well, I have applied for it. I'm not sure I'm going to get in. <laughs> There's a program in Kaiser is called Elevate Program. And that program is more toward uh, the diverse workspace in which you are able to look at people with different diverse backgrounds and Southern California and Kaiser okay. is really focused on that. And I, I'm part of a minority myself, you know, uh, being a South Asian. So that, um, that course is essentially built around providing care when your members is diverse and how you can really help them build and provide more culturally diverse, appropriate care. I think that's the next big step for healthcare. We all talk about individual care, uh, patient-centered care, um, but what is more important is uh, culturally and you know ethically appropriate care, which we all try to do it. There's no secret sauce to it, but to make sure that there are minor things that we have to uh, kind of train our team or ourselves add into our everyday practice. So that's what I'm looking into. Um, the program is paused till spring session. So we don't know if you're starting now. So we'll know next couple months if I'll be able to get in the next one. So that's on my uh, definitely a lot to look into and learn more from. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Manish, I, my fingers are crossed for you. I hope I, maybe the podcast will help, you know, push things in your favor and the Thank odds you. will be in your favor and you'll get selected. Um, you know, we've had a phenomenal conversation, Manish. Again, I'm very grateful that you were on the show. And we've talked about a lot of things. You know, we've talked about how trust is a key factor in determining success. We've talked about seizing the opportunity, you know, waiting forever or waiting for the right time doesn't exist. 
Um, you know, is there one final piece of advice that you would want to share with the listeners today when it that when they think about trying to advance their career? Is there a, either a lesson or a piece of advice that you would tell somebody today? Hey, if you're working towards that, do this. Yeah, you're right. Uh, well, one thing which is kind of a human nature, we want a target and we feel like that's a target I need to get. And that's the best thing for me. It's important to be target driven and look at that target and focus to get it. Like my target was try to be practiced as a pediatric ophthalmologist in the United States. Or that's what I saw in my life when I came to the country or after training. When the target doesn't come, sometimes it feels like, hey, you know, am I lost or can I do something else? What I will tell is, hey, where you are, you probably have a target that you have built in and you're really working focused and work hard to get it. It's very important to not have a very myopic vision when you're doing it. You're gonna come along the way in which you're gonna see opportunities. And it's very difficult to know if one of those opportunities are right for you, unless you surround yourself with a group of people who can actually tell you, hey, this is a great opportunity. This is maybe not that great opportunity, you know, things like that. So it's the advice, uh, again, I don't think I'm in a place that I can give any advice, but I, at least a lesson from my struggles is uh, keeping an open mind while working on the target. If you see something, um, see an opportunity, see some place to grow in, put yourself in that place and ask the people who are close to you, can I do that? And if there's like, yeah, why not? Try it. Maybe that's the area where your passion is. And, uh, you know, after the week is winding down and I look back at how my week was and uh, I, we were off for a couple of weeks in winter break and I wanted to come back and work. And when I came back, I'm like, huh, this is a very happy state of mind. <laughs> Not that I didn't love having time with family and uh, friends, but coming back, that's amazing. So that tells me, hey, you know, this is my happy place. When I'm doing, I'm liking it. And it comes with the struggles, but actually it's pretty boring when you don't have any of them either. So it's, um, um, so, so I think uh, probably the thing's going to change. I don't know what the future holds in itself. But one thing for sure is if you see an opportunity, if you see an area for growth, seek advice from those who know you well. They will tell you, work on that. But this isn't bad. Look into it. Maybe that this isn't bad is going to become your new great thing. So something to think about. Yeah, I like that. If this isn't bad could be your next great thing. That's, that's great words of advice. Manish, thanks so much for being on the show. Again, it's such an honor to have had you and to hear your story. Um, I'm wishing you nothing but success in the year 2022. And I'm looking forward to seeing you take healthcare to a higher level. Thank you, Iqbal. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Healthcare and Hire podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to follow and subscribe for more. I'm your host, Iqbal Acha, and I invite you to connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Let me know what you thought about this episode or my show in general. Also, visit me at www.achainternational.com to learn more about how I help healthcare professionals and healthcare leaders advance their career build a better brand, and create a leadership legacy. I'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, let's keep working to take healthcare to a higher level.